Welcome into another episode of the Young Turks Podcast. Ahmed Kafir and Mason Viner. Ahmed, we talked about this stretch of games for the Terps on the basketball court for a while, and well, back to back unexpected losses, and might as well cross off any chance of the NCAA tournament barring a run in the Big Ten. Yeah, I think this was pretty much the kind of the nail in the coffin. Again, like you said, until unless they manage to get hot uh, in the Big Ten tournament, it's really hard to see Maryland kind of overcoming this. Um, kind of going into the week, they really had still an unappealing uh, resume. I mean, again, you know, uh, only one quad one win so far, two and two in quad two games. Um, their biggest win against uh, is Il- against Illinois, well, granted on the road, but without Terrence Shannon. Um, and the next best win is. Uh, what arguably at UCLA. So um, yeah, losing to Rutgers who uh, with the win over Maryland moved up to a quad two opponent now. Um, And uh, yeah, uh, I think at this point, unless Maryland goes undefeated, uh, it's really hard to see it. So uh, undoubtedly a disappointing finish and not, not what many were expecting in year two of Kevin Willard. No, not at all. Let's jump back to earlier in the week, Maryland falls at home to what's been a bad Rutgers team who did win at Wisconsin over the weekend, but they came into College Park and took it 56-53, to and the Terps struggled everywhere, but really even Jameer Young, an off night, he and Julian Reese combined for 35, but the Terps just can't get it done in the end. Yeah, it was just, I think, kind of going into the matchup, I think a lot of people expected, uh, you know, probably an ugly offensive game and good defensive game, just kind of given what both teams did. But uh, like you said, an uncharacteristic Bad night from Jameer Young, finishing 3 of 17 from the field there. Uh, still managed to figure out, uh, to, to, to land in double figures there. But, um, again, it goes back to the same problems. You know, when you mentioned uh, uh, Jameer and Julian Reese uh, combining for 35 of the Maryland's 53 points, um, the lack of production elsewhere continues to loom large. Uh, but, again, that was a game that, you know, maybe going into halftime, you still felt that, you know, maybe it was going to be an ugly game, um, but Maryland was going to be able to figure out a way to pull it out. Uh, I think a lot of people just kind of had that gut feeling uh, for Maryland when they're at home, but uh, unfortunately Rutgers took advantage in the second half and uh, never looked back. I believe the the final 15 minutes uh, they, they led. Yeah. And, and Rutgers, I mean, just much, much better field goal percentage shooting in the game. They go 21 for 56. The Terps only make 17 field goals the entire game. Maryland, once again, the three point shooting is is just horrendous. I mean, two for 18 against Rutgers, the three that's jacked up by Dante Scott at the end, unable to make really anything happen down the stretch. Maryland was allowed back in the game by that technical foul. That was suspect in itself uh, that goes against Rutgers. Terps cut it all the way down to one, but this year it's just been these one possession games coming down the stretch, not being able to design plays. It doesn't seem to matter whether Kevin Willard calls timeout, whether he doesn't call timeout. Maryland, and their opponents, everybody knows the ball is going to Jameer Young. It's yeah. it's in this case, I was almost happy to see somebody else put that shot up just because there's immediate doubles on Jameer Young, especially when Deshaun Harris Smith is beyond the three point line. You almost don't have to guard him if you're being realistic to that. Juju Reese also not a threat from anywhere outside of 12 or 15 feet of the basket. You look around and up and down this roster and it is really the same conversation you've heard all year from the two of us. Yeah. There's just nobody else to make that shot, and and it's it's like a shame that Jahari Long isn't on the court in that situation rather than DHS. It popped up again against Ohio State just because at least at Xfinity, he's somewhat of a threat to be able to step outside and make a shot. 
Yeah, I was rewatching a little bit of the Rutgers game earlier today, and uh, um, noticed that I believe it was eight eight early midway through the first half there, and there was a weird play where Jahari Long kind of looked like the ball kind of got saved, Maryland could have got, taken possession, stolen away from Rutgers. Uh, but again, you know, I think kind of through conference play, he's probably been you know arguably, I mean, not arguably at this point, just considering the bench production, but really the only dependable guy that you can turn to uh, outside of that starting five. So um, again, you know, I think it's it's um, Fitting, I think the, the Rutgers game was the start of defenses really starting to figure out Jameer Young, really starting to dial in on him. Um, and Maryland really just, once again, like you said, just the same kind of conversation, but just kind of re-emphasized on, on Tuesday night. Uh, Maryland just doesn't have a uh, dependable second scoring option outside of Jameer. Yeah, and I brought up Jahari Long being that guy. And, you know, to look at his stat line, he's 0 for 5 in the game or 0 for 4, 0 for 3 from 3. He knocks down two free throws picks up a foul and an assist. And that's basically it for his stat line in, in, you know, major bench minutes. Kevin Willard shortening the bench. It was only Jamie Kaiser and Jahari Long and Caleb Swanton Roger that enters uh, the game against Rutgers off the bench. But really, I mean, it's one of those things. At least DHS gives you a great defensive minutes. Jahari Long's defense has massively improved, but this team really needs somebody to score the basketball. And when it doesn't come from Jamie Kaiser and Jahari Long, they're, really is not another playable option other than when uh, Maddie Traore steps off the bench and gives the Terps eight yesterday. Yeah, that was uh, a sight to see. But um, yeah, like you said, you know, I think uh, Tuesday's problems took us right into Saturdays, unfortunately. Yeah, Maryland double overtime loss in Columbus against Ohio State, 79-75. Strange reading that off. I mean, there's nothing more Big Ten than a two overtime game only ending 79-75. to But Maryland and Ohio State found a way to do that. Ahmed, the Terps, they led by double digits in the first half. That dwindled by the end, goes into a one-point deficit. Maryland with chances to win both at the end of regulation, the end of the first overtime, and then ultimately unable to foul, get a foul in oh, with six seconds left on the clock after their last offensive possession. That led to a dunk that uh, allowed uh, betters everywhere that bet Ohio State to celebrate the Buckeyes two and a half as they win it by four. Yeah, uh, again, you know, really felt like uh, that was a game that Maryland just really felt slip away there. Um, you know, was really able to kind of control the lead. Um, you know, granted Ohio State was able to come back a little bit, but um, again, you know, just just a really kind of a nail in the coffin there. And um, again, just the lack of offense and the the, the closing minutes of both halves and uh, the final, I think it's two and a half minutes of both overtimes. Um, goes back to, again, what we just talked about in the Rutgers game or what we've seen really all year, um, just con- inconsistent offense. And then when you're really putting that much strain in your defense on uh, every possession, um, you're, you're, you're going to break. And uh, unfortunately, I mean, it was a little bit of a, a, a bounce back game from Jameer Young there, uh, finishing uh, with, uh, I believe, 8 of 22 from the field. Uh, but again, just just the lack of production. And, and again, I, I really felt like, Ohio State really honed in on, on Jameer yesterday, and um, I think a little bit surprising that we didn't see Jordan Geronimo uh, at all. Yeah, the Terps, you know, not finding or not having Geronimo out there led to Manny Traore obviously getting more time. Caleb Swanton-Roger also enters the game. But when you look at this one, the only thing that you have to stare at if you're a Maryland fan is the free throw shooting from the Terps, especially down the stretch. Two huge misses from Dante Scott, four misses and two separate stints at the line for Juju Reese really stole the game from Maryland. I mean, when you look at it, you said it was, you know, game that Maryland let slip away. It's one that I look at and talk a lot about unforced errors all over sports. And this was just a game riddled with unforced errors 
from the Terps who had multiple chances in both overtimes to take two possession leads. They get to the free throw line. They can't take the lead back at multiple times, can't extend it at others. And this one, this one stings. Yeah, absolutely. And again, I think this one was really the nail in the coffin. I mean, the Rutgers game, I think, was kind of, um, you know, again, that was kind of you, you weren't able to really come back from that. Very like, uh, very similar to how Maryland isn't able to come back from those early November non-conference losses. Um, but again, I, I thought that this was this was a game for Maryland, especially on the road, uh, to be able to get right. So um, to be able to see your uh, fifth-year center, or excuse me, fifth-year um, forward um, miss two crucial free throws in the final minute, like you mentioned, and then uh, Jameer Young, Julian Reese, uh, just uh, just missed opportunities. But um, again, just kind of. Perfect picture of what this season has been for Maryland so far. Yeah, and the Terps unable to really clamp down on the defensive end. Bruce Thornton has really solid game for the Buckeyes. He goes 10 for 20, gets 20, picks up 24 points. But it felt like one of those games as as it extended, you were just waiting for Maryland to do something to pull away. You know, all those opportunities with the ball and the lead to extend it. And it's just the ball never went in the basket. They never had that high screen dive look at the end, which they've been so successful with getting Jameer Young free to the basket, getting Juju Reese a touch inside where, well, I'll say it, where he can get fouled or or make a shot. But ultimately, those are the plays that have worked. And when Maryland needed something to happen, it, it felt like they were so afraid of Jameer Young getting in that double team situation 35 feet from the basket that they didn't really push the pressure towards the hoop. And you, you heard it on the broadcast multiple times as well. Maryland's in the bonus. They need to take advantage of these next, you know, four minutes before Ohio State catches up foul-wise. And for there, for a minute or two, Maryland had that pressure going towards the basket. But you see the errors from DHS, Jameer Young at times, Chahari Long, driving to the basket. And never, there's no driving kick because nobody wants to put up a three on this team. No one's a threat to make that shot. So it's almost drive it until that triple team comes, ball gets stolen. And Ohio State, credit to them on their adjustments from Chris Holtman's staff just to break really, really hard going the other way. We saw it yet again from Maryland, not necessarily being able to recover going back on the defensive end after turnovers. And one thing piles into another and on the road, you got to make those foul shots. You have to take those opportunities. Terps, I mean, you can almost consider it a gift. They probably got six or seven really to put the game away between the end of regulation overtime. And you don't take any of those and you can't, can't look at anybody, but in the mirror with this one. Yeah, uh, again, uh, I think that's kind of a perfect, perfect summary of it. Um, and then again, you know, I think Maddie, you know, again, you know, with the with the lineup switch, I thought, you know, he looked well and or looked good in his limited minutes. Um, a little bit surprising for a lot of Maryland fans. And then he didn't play the final 12 minutes of the second half, didn't seem in do- either double overtimes. Uh, but again, you know, you look at um, it, it all. It's always going to start with your your top dogs and uh, especially with the they miss free throws. Um, again, it's just m- miss opportunity there. Um, and again, you know, just kind of going back to the the lack of offense in either of the halves there. Um, you know, you, again, it, Maryland needs to figure out a way to find something out of Jameer. And it'll be kind of interesting to see, obviously, with, I think, the season kind of decided, obviously, I think, you know, Maryland's going to have a chance and pick the tournament, like we mentioned, at the start of the show. But it'll be interesting to see, you know, how Willard, whether he adjusts uh, and kind of gives Jimmy Kaiser, Deshaun Harris-Smith, uh, John Lamoth, who drew feedback or drew good criticism uh, from, from Willard a couple weeks ago. Uh, but, it, you know, we haven't seen him really since the conference play heat up. Uh, it'll be kind of interesting to see uh, if we see any more tweaks to the rotation, to the lineup. Uh, to try and get some of these younger guys going a little bit. Yeah, I was surprised that Traore didn't really get 
time in that stretch. I thought he played well. He moved through the offense well. He was kind of aggressive at certain times with the basketball, which really helped to have somebody down there. And, you know, he also still looks a little bit uncomfortable playing the game, getting up and down the court. Defensively, it's not there. Didn't rebound that well in his time. But with Juju struggling the way he does, with Juju the way he plays now, because it seems like he's desperate to not foul out of the game, which is something that I take a bit of issue with when the game's in those moments where you can sell out to try and block a shot and you might get a foul called on you and foul out. That's the play. I mean, if he's the only big man yeah. out there, Jordan Geronimo is not in the game to also defend the rim and Dante Scott's at the four or you're playing a five out almost at that point. You got to sell out eventually. Eventually that timer's got to go off in his head where I've got to commit to make the play. We need to stop the other team or I at least have to make them make foul shots whether I'm not going to be out there the rest of the time, especially in a double overtime situation. But credit to Traore, a guy who doesn't really get any minutes averaging, I think it was like 0.6 points per game coming into it, to go out there and produce for Maryland, give them something offensively from that four spot and, and play the five in, in Big Ten play. All those minutes have been going to CSR. I, I like what Willard did with that. I think offensively it was a benefit to the team. But you mentioned it. Now it's about the rest of the way. Do we see – I mean – Noah Bachelor, you almost have to consider at some point. So are, are they yeah. trying to still evaluate there? I don't think there's much to, but is he going to get time? Is John Lamoth going to get time? Like what is what is going through Kevin Willard's head right now? Because he's certainly not really giving us the answer in those post-game press conferences or on the radio or anything like that of really what the personnel decisions are to this point. Yeah, it was kind of interesting. Uh, Post-Ohio State was the first time in, what, three, four weeks that we haven't heard anything about travel. So uh, I guess that's uh, one positive from Saturday. But uh, again, you know, like you mentioned, uh, I think Bachelor will be kind of interesting. I think just kind of with everyone looking at him as a three-point specialist coming in to Maryland and none of that hasn't really come to fruition yet. So um, again, you know, I don't know how much you can experiment there, but, you know, again, you know, kind of give him a chance to to impress the staff. Um you know, that, that will be interesting. But um, again, uh, I think the, the bigger inch, the storyline the rest of the way, well, what are the effort, uh, what does the effort look like uh, from a lot of these guys? And I think, you know, uh, again, Jameer Young and, and you know, Dante, I think Jameer especially, uh, you know, they're looking to get to the pro level, obviously. So, um, you know, how does that all mesh together? Uh, how does the locker room, how does that kind of all kind of come together? So I think it's, think that that's going to be a, a much, much more interesting storyline to follow over the next three, four weeks. Yeah. And, and I'll point this out too. It always feels like this team is, is one of those that you just feel like if there was more time, something would go right just with the level that they're playing at on the defensive end. They have so many opportunities. I believe that does that take them down to one in six or one in seven in one possession games this season. Seven. It's like if they had one more guy, if they had, you know, more time to figure something out. And at this point, you know, that clock has kind of run all the way down. It's it's not seemingly it's not going to happen. They're not going to find the one guy who gets the hot hand. You're not going to get that, you know, coast to coast runner to fall at the end of regulation. It just for some reason, the ball is not bouncing in this team's favor. And this one's one that you almost put into the other category that if you just did the basic things, you would have won. But it's it's so like bothersome with this, you know, everybody wants to talk about Hakeem Hart and Ian Martinez, but I'll even put it out there. We're 14 baskets, seven baskets, you know, somewhere in that range, a way of having a completely different conversation right now with the same guys on the team, not with any hypotheticals applied to the situation. It's been disappointing. It's got to be disappointing that locker room now to know that time's really running out. It's, it's going to be 
really interesting. I think a real test of of what Maryland's got going forward, how certain guys, especially the young players that are going to be here next year, play out the rest of this season. And if they can find a way to steal a couple games and maybe have something going into the Big Ten tournament rather than just needing to go on some insane run from the 11 or 12 spot in the league. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, I think, again, you know, Maryland – We'll have a chance uh, coming up with with Iowa, uh, Illinois coming to College Park to uh, you know maybe salvage some respect, but you know we'll we'll see. Um, I don't think either of us are really expecting a uh, crazy environment inside of Xfinity off the heels of just this both this season and this past week. So um, we'll see. It's anyone's game now. Yeah, I mean, you look at that Rutgers game the other night. A lot of empty seats out there. I'm interested. 8.30 on Valentine's Day. That'll be the new excuse. It was Valentine's Day. That's why nobody showed up to Xfinity. But with all that being said, and just the way the crowds have looked this year, it is going to be an ugly stretch for Maryland basketball. And it goes with, one, the quality of the opponents really isn't there this year in the conference. And two, the fans are just checked out with this team. It's one of those, if the season ended tomorrow, I don't really know how many people would really expect to see much from the rest or really, really care at this point. Yeah. I think, I think at the majority, vast majority are just kind of looking for the season to be over at this point um, from a fan perspective. Um, I mean, there's nothing, it's not like it's uh, an appealing style of basketball right now. It's Jameer hero ball. Um, and offensively they're challenged and it's not like they have postseason aspirations right now. I mean, talking about a team that, you know, I wrote a week ago, I did it like a roundup. I think only, one outlet had Maryland projected to have uh, to host an NIT game. The other two had Maryland traveling, and then they lost at Rutgers um, and at Ohio State. So, I mean, uh, this is it's it's pretty hard to, to kind of get up right now. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't blame the apathy. Yeah, let's flip it over to the football side. With that, a lot brighter these days with uh, Maryland football, Ahmed. Yeah, I think uh, obviously Mike Loxley and, and and company they did a really good job and. Signing day was this past Wednesday. We were able to ink through the three last three members of the 2024 class. So we had a nice little surprise on the third one. Yeah, Dimitri Nichols commits to the Terps, flips from Auburn on signing day. Maryland digging into Florida again and picking up another piece of the defensive line. Yeah, so this one defensive line was a big need for Maryland, obviously. Um, and I think kind of going into, and I mentioned actually on the last episode, uh, they, you know, as of last episode, I no longer expected Maryland to look at the portal. Um, that was because, you know, there you know, was potential target on the D line uh, in the portal. There didn't really sound too too serious, and then obviously did not materialize. Um, so then it sounded like, you know, the the efforts kind of reshifted there. Uh, Michigan State was involved with Nichols down the stretch as well, uh, but you know, the relationship between Brian Williams and uh, Nichols that helped a lot there. Nichols. Uh, he had previously been on campus before, so there wasn't a complete lack of, uh, you know, uh, unfamiliarity there. Uh, um, you know, be, be, again, you know, that relationship between Nichols and, and Brian Williams, that loomed large. Um, and then again, you know, Maryland had that that need at the position. So it kind of all kind of came to fruition. Uh, really sounded like it was, you know, the last day, last maybe 36 hours. But um, I was told Tuesday, he told he gave the staff uh, his his commitment Tuesday night. Uh, and then Wednesday morning, it was 100 percent done deal. Uh, went on to announce at 9 a.m. that day. And, uh, yeah, that's a that's a big win, obviously, uh, with, with Nichols, Kevin Humes, Smart, McIntosh, uh, kind of addresses a lot of your biggest and looming needs on the defense side of the ball. Yeah, Terps wrap up this class ranking 31st from rivals and 44th from on 
on three, Ahmed. Not Loxley's biggest like numbers that he's put up, but we've talked about this a couple times. Top to bottom, there's nobody that you really stare at, and you're like, that's that's a take for Maryland. It's really, really a solid class that will be another foundational building blocks for, block for Locks. Yeah, again, I think that this class, you know, really from top to bottom, just really addressed needs. I think Ben Page actually commented on on I did a poll grading the class, um, and Ben Page was the one to really highlight that this was a foundational class, which is 100% true. I mean, you look at the offensive line and all, look at these guys in two, three years. Uh, Shamar McIntosh, I think, is a guy who's going to come in right away and, and make an impact, but I could see him, you know, being a Glenn Miller type in year two or year three, uh, year four. So I, I think there's a lot of these guys that, uh, when all said and done, a lot of these guys are going to be able to uh, materialize. And then again, you know, the offensive line, that was the area they really needed to just rebeef and retool and, you know, Every Maryland fan, I mean, we can we can all look back in our memories and, and look back and remember when uh, Maryland first made that transition to the Big Ten. And, you know, we all remembered it starts in the trenches. And, uh, you know, Maryland's kind of at that point where you just got to rebuild, got to develop so that every year you're not going in and you don't need to get, you know, at least two, probably three, possibly even four uh, portal offensive linemen to start for the upcoming season. So uh, I'm a big fan of this class from top to bottom. Again, I think that this is the most complete class to date. Uh, and I think I've said it probably three times on this show, but I'll say it again, 2025. I think my Glockstein company have a chance to go out with a bang. Yeah, and the Terps hard at work already on those 2025s. Ahmed always with the coverage over on Inside the Black and Gold with what Locks has cooking for 2025 and DMV just with another great class and it's Maryland's time, you know, NIL wise, it seems like things are rolling and, and the Terps are, the Terps are there to compete, not only on the field, but they're continuing through the NIL area era, battling it out on the recruiting trail as well. Yeah. Again, and I think that, you know, just really all boils down to um, Maryland's need to just, you know, lock down this talent, uh, the long list of talent, you know, defensively, especially the defensive backs, Malik Washington, who um, is probably the most complete quarterback to come out of this area since Caleb Williams. I wouldn't say he's a Caleb Williams level talent, uh, but, you know, he, he's going to really do some damage at the college level. So just a lot of these guys that are really can be impactful cornerstone pieces. So I think that this is really that time where, you know, Mike Laxley, you know, maybe in 2021, that class, you know, a lot of fans look at and they say, oh, that. That was a class that, you know, all the glitz and glory and then it all fizzled out. Um, but I think that this class, uh, you know, Maryland's really put a premium on recruiting the right type of guys. You know, if you're an NIL guy first, you know, your, prob your time on Maryland's board and maybe your interest in Maryland is probably, you know, going to be uh, very uh, short-lived. But I think, think really uh, sure they're, they're getting the right type of guys. And I think they have a long list of the right type of guys in their backyard. and um, it really feels like it's all coming together. So uh, we'll see, but it feels like Azar is coming up with everyone. Uh, you know, a lot of these coaches are doing a really good job uh, just keeping up and, and saying local, uh, keeping up on local ties. And, uh, you know, got five stars coming back on campus through through January. So it's been, uh, been a momentum building month for sure. Yeah, it sure has. And Ahmed, of course, is all that coverage over on Inside the Black and Gold. Ahmed, anything else to add on the pod today? No, should be good. We'll see what... Staff changes come this week. I know it's been uh, – like everyone's kind of waiting on that. You know, it's just kind of wait, wait, and, wait and see on that for now. But uh, until then, Mike Loxley, save us. <laughs> Amen to that. Yeah. I'm not lying. Yeah, that, that, that's where we are. That is where we are. It is yeah. – what is today? February 11th, Super Bowl Sunday, and we're saying Mike Loxley, save us. That, that I think that tells you all you need to know. So 
It's true. I said it on the board. Mike Loxley is probably the best thing about Maryland athletics, and it's becoming less of a hot take with each with each passing day. Um, uh, I I don't think that's a hot take anymore. So we shall see. All right. Well, as always, make sure to subscribe to this pod where you get it. Give it a thumbs up where you can or drop a review for us. It really helps us out over here. Until next time, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening.